This is the one with a nut ton of crossbows. A scantily clad new companion. Not one, but two sausage fests. And Time Lord Mount Rushmore. It's called The Face of Evil. Here we go. We're embarking on a voyage all through time and all through space. Counting Daleks, Thal and Oot, and the Cybertronic race. Sontarans look like taters, and Silurians all have wonky scales. And the Doctor has a TARDIS, we're reviewing all his tales. Who back when? Reviewing all of who there is. Who back when? Subscribe and rate on iTunes, please. Episode by episode, we're trudging down this temporal. Come join us on this odyssey. What other choice could there be than who back when? Who back when? What whole dearest podcast land. It is I, Leon, introducing this episode, C089, of Who Back When, a Doctor Who podcast, or... Doc Past. Correctamundo. That person is Jim. Hello, Jim. Hello, Leon. Hello, podcast land. <laughs> Hello, podcast land. Hello, Jim. <laughs> <laughs> Pause. Thank you, podcast land. Lovely. <laughs> C089, I said. What's this episode called? It's called The Face of Evil. That's right. Another Tom Baker serial. It is. I think slowly but surely we are collecting all the constituent evil parts to make one evil whole. <laughs> <laughs> There's some interesting trivia about the name of this episode, actually, which we will get onto. Oh, marvellous. <laughs> very good. Very good. Well, without further ado, shall we jump into a bite-sized chunk of who? Let's do that one. Time for us to synopsize, lobify and summarize. So take a view and grab a brew and listen to this overview. This free for all. We like to call a bite-sized bite chunk, chunk of who. Bite-sized chunk of who? At an unknown time on an unknown planet, an as yet unnamed tribe is being shitty to their only female tribesperson, Leela. Upon closer inspection, the tribe, who call themselves the Sever Team, are perhaps not what they seem. Their leader sits upon a throne that looks suspiciously like it came out of a spacecraft, and their shaman is wearing bits of a spacesuit. Their behavior, on the other hand, is straight up savage, and the unfortunate Leela is banished for questioning their beliefs. When an unaccompanied doctor arrives on the planet, he is mistaken for the evil one and nearly sacrificed. As fortune would have it though, the equally unwelcome Leela pops around and saves him and they escape into the jungle. Alas, it is populated by invisible phantoms, surrounded by a makeshift time barrier and guarded by a mysterious force with a familiar face that purports to have abducted the god of the tribesmen, Zoanon. Be scout over, you are welcome, aren't you just? Now, that is not a very straightforward plot to follow. No, it's not, I suppose. So unstraightforward that I watched parts one, two, and three, stopped, read the synopsis for parts one, two, and three on TARDIS Wikia, and then watched part four. <laughs> this will be interesting. I'll see if I, if I missed anything <laughs> in particular, but you're just like, oh yeah, it was this, this, and this all along. <laughs> I may very well just have been completely dim, but I, I found this a little haphazard, a little sort of just all over the place. I think, yeah, they, they may be kind of painting with a broad brush a lot of the time and you had to kind of just go along with it really <laughs> well part of my confusion is because this serial relies on a backstory that we are never told as in the first time around that the doctor went there yes exactly yeah that that was weird yeah and yes i, I admit i 
didn't quite ever work out what was meant to have happened and why the Doctor couldn't remember it properly. Yeah, exactly. There's a bit of trivia associated with that as well, actually. Uh, okay. But may- maybe to clarify for those who haven't seen this serial, and because we didn't mention it in the B-Scout, so the, the this evil force with a familiar face, it has the face of the Doctor. And the Doctor throughout this four-episode serial feels like maybe he's been there before. Like there's a, a sense of deja vu about the whole thing. And it turns out he was there before. He manufactured, or sorry, repaired this sort of AI and programmed it with part of his own personality, Uh, which then made the computer completely schizophrenic, and that's it. But somehow he has just forgotten about this. But we are never told why he forgot about it. And it's an adventure we have never seen, and at least according to Toddy's Wikia, we will never see again. Yeah, because the thing with this is, you know, you're never quite sure with Doctor Who which Doctor it could have been. But we see his face carved in rock. So we know it is, and his face is projected on screens from the, the computer. That's right. Manifesting it. And it's Tom Baker. Like, this is a Tom Baker story that we haven't seen. And like you're saying, we will never see. Correct. Which is, it is odd, because we've, we've obviously seen a lot of his adventures up to now. And especially when Sarah Jane was a companion, you kind of feel like, I don't think we, we kind of felt like we skipped much. I don't think so either. They almost, like, one, the end of one leads to the beginning of the next. Yeah. Very much so, in fact. We had a similar conversation in our last New Who review. Uh, rather, Marie brought up a very interesting point about Clara in that one, whereby when Clara sees the photo of herself, which she does not recognise, mm. she goes, I wasn't there, rather than, oh, I haven't been there yet. In this one, I kept thinking back to what Marie said. Like, w- the Doctor, it doesn't, it never occurs to the Doctor that he could go, oh, that is future me. I haven't been here yet, so I will most likely Bill and Ted this at some point in the future. Yeah, I guess the only thing is that right at the start, the Doctor is having this kind of, I'm pretty sure I've been here before. In fact, right right at the start, okay. the Doctor breaks the fourth wall. Yes, he does. Why, how, what, <laughs> who, where and when, let's throw them in as well. <laughs> According to online research, this has hitherto only happened in one other episode, and that is a Twelfth Doctor episode, where he discusses the so-called bootstrap paradox with with us, with the audience. I don't remember that, personally. No, I don't, actually. That's from Before the Flood. So this one, Tom Baker addressing the camera, Mm. I think if it wasn't so straight at camera and unflinchingly at camera, I would have accepted it as him just... Talking to himself. Talking to himself, yeah. He's, he, he does address himself in that little soliloquy. He does, but it's funny, he doesn't, like, he's not looking up in a kind of thinking pose. He's just staring dead fast down the lens of the camera. In fact, there is a cut to close-up of him, at which point he turns around to face the camera. Right. It's okay. almost as though we are creeping up on him, and he is he's just straight up acknowledging <laughs> there is a BBC crew here. <laughs> <laughs> so this is a weird one, Kevin the cameraman. <laughs> Kevin's like, uh, what do I do? What do I do? And the director's like m- mouthing, keep rolling, keep rolling, Kev. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm just having a little debate in my head then, <laughs> trying to decide if the end of Doctor Who, if they decide to ever just put it to, to bed again, whether it just turns out that, yeah, it was a, it was a t- documentary. <laughs> <laughs> so that's weird for a start. But I, I guess it's one part of weirdness in the whole, the Doctor having a duplicate throughout this serial to, to a lesser extent. Yeah. It was very obvious to me when we heard Zoanon that it was Tom Baker's voice. Agreed. Yeah, same here. But the reveal comes very much later. So I I don't know if they didn't intend it to be that obvious because I don't know. 
it seemed pretty obvious and the doctor is already good doing the I think I've been here before and everyone stick. is referring to him as the like everyone yeah, recogni- true, they recognize true. him to then have his voice that yeah it's not wholly unexpected which is why I found it odd to read that some people cite the cliffhanger for the first episode as one of the best clip cliffhangers in Doctor Who is like it's quite cool to see his face carved in rock Mount Rushmore style yeah but it wasn't a surprise well I mean I was surprised to find Mount Rushmore on this yeah. weird planet. Yeah, that's, that's that's the kind of weird. Thing. It's not that it's not a reveal that the Doctor's face is Agreed. associated with the godlike creatures in this planet. You know that is true. It made me think of is it called the Ark? Which one was it that we reviewed? The Ark in space. Yes. Boom. Then it made me think of the Ark, not the one in space, <laughs> which is also about an Ark in space, in which one of the cliffhangers, I think cliffhanger of part two is or part two or three. They wake up after X amount of time, look out, and there's just this magnificent, enormous statue of... Um, I was wondering where you're going to f- finish with that. <laughs> <laughs> statue, okay. <laughs> enormous statue of this straight-up, one-eyed <laughs> alien being. <laughs> nice. Maybe not the most obvious parallel, but it, otherwise, a more obvious parallel is that we have had a doctor or the actor playing a doctor also playing the antagonist of that doctor serial and that was in Enemy of the World with Patrick Troughton where he played both himself the second doctor and Salamander aka Scaramanga the bad guy of that episode okay. yeah because yeah, I, I did wonder if that was going to happen at the start of this I'm not sure if, if you well, I, I guess you probably I assumed, were wondering no assumed, I assumed I assumed yeah. we would get Tom Baker as the bad guy as well yeah yeah but um, but no well ish ish yeah ish yeah okay so there are a few things about this serial that we need to talk about just maybe we should deconstruct this to make better sense of it okay why don't we start with something pretty straightforward here we get a new companion uh, apparently we do Yes, yeah. this is the introduction of Leela, whom Tom Baker did not want there, and apparently with whom Tom Baker did not get along. Oh. Yeah. Tom Baker wanted to fly solo, he wanted to do his own thing after the departure of Sarah Jane Smith, but the BBC goes, you know what, we need someone who wears very little clothes. <laughs> and that they got. How do you feel about Leela? I think just on the face of her being in this serial, I actually really liked her. I, it was It was a little bit wishy-washy in places whether she had the chops to really kind of be a companion because for a start like she is a cave person (laughs) like he's he's come across countless people who we've kind of said that could have been a companion yeah i don't think she would have jumped to a to our minds if she didn't you know she wasn't pre-written to be the companion like we wouldn't be looking back at it going oh yeah he should have taken that cave person with him because they would have not fainted at every opportunity because they're on a different planet or seen I don't know. See, I don't know. I was positively surprised to find that she was not as primitive as I had at first feared. No, I guess I guess that's the thing, is that definitely as the serial went on, it seemed more that even though their behaviour at the start is very much tribe-like and yeah. and rudimentary, there's there's kind of a hint and progression that actually they have ancestry not that far removed from people that could construct spaceships and they've just it's i don't know it almost kind of implied that they kind of forgotten some things but, yeah, which, which yeah. i didn't really buy but 
And which apparently is not the case either, but that's another part, that is a part of this serial that I just don't get. But let's put a pin in that. Let's put a pin in how these two civilizations have evolved. Yeah. Yeah. I liked Leela. I did too. She saves the Doctor on, what, like a handful of occasions over four episodes. Yeah. Even though she straight up murders two people in it as well. Which, at least two people. But that, that was an interesting dynamic, though, that she's behaving the way she needs to behave in a situation to stay alive. And to and, save him. And to save him. Yeah. And we do see this happen, where companions resort to things that the Doctor wouldn't do, generally violence. Yeah. <laughs> and the Doctor is not okay with it. And this, this gets established very quickly. It's like... Well, he goes, yeah, you should never use this... Yeah, uh, never use that again. Janus Thorn, whatever it's called. Yeah. And I think I think that's quite interesting to get it, get it out of the way that, that quickly, especially when people are probably looking at her as this primitive cave person and is like, well, why are you going to take her along? She's already killed two people. Yeah, that's a fair observation. Nip that in the bud straight away. Yeah. And and she takes his advice. I mean, she follows his advice. So no, that's a... Actually, you know what? You're right. That's a that's a good point. I think she proves herself to be resourceful as well, and you know, ad- adapting to very discovering new technology and the whole other civilization. Yeah, the, the, oh, I forgot what they're called. The Tesh. The Tesh. Yeah, I mean, she is also less of a damsel in distress than the arguably more civilized companions we've had in the past. Yeah, I mean, like the modern day human. This, these are future humans, but like the modern day humans, the nineteen seventies, nineteen eighty humans. They're civilized. They're accustomed to technology, but constantly just crying and screaming for help. Yeah, it'd be interesting to see if that changes. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> that's true. I think the, the only thing I, I kind of noted down, I just realized I've not been looking at my notes in the slightest. We're just, <laughs> we're just chatting podcast. Yeah. <laughs> that's good. Was that I felt like the very first scene, she established herself as a very strong-willed character. She's literally standing up against the belief system of her fellow tribes people and is willing to be outcast to share that view. Well, do we find out and that that's actually what's happened? Is is that why she is effectively standing trial for blasphemy? I don't know if it's super clear, because she makes a comment which is referred to as blasphemy during that encounter. Yeah, that's true. She's like, oh, Zoanon doesn't exist. Yeah. Yeah, they're God. I'd, I, would, I would give you that I'd, I'm not quite sure yeah, why she's been brought in front of them in the first place. But she's obviously of the belief that there is something shitty in the makeup of their society and she ain't having it anymore. Yeah. In that scene, by the way, opening scene, her dad gets murdered. Yes. Well, well, he he volunteers to try and save her. But yeah, gets dropped into a pit of whatever effect those things were uh, the the hoarder hoarder they're great <laughs> oh they're fantastic they look like better versions of the cybermat yeah, yes yeah yeah i thought about that as well yeah she goes for a lot in that first scene she gets banished but rather than accepting her fate she like she strives and well then people go after her anyway to try and kill her but she's she's not accepting anything she's standing up for herself she's, that's true and then and she's the, also accepting the ways of the tribe i'm sorry i just cut you off there but i mean she's accepting the ways of the tribe in the sense that she takes the banishment and she also i mean even though she obviously pleads for her dad's life when he's been murdered or sacrificed she just goes yeah all right then i guess i'll leave there's no emotion in it she just accepts the ways of this tribe and their traditions i guess a bit i think more it's just accepting the situation she's in very stoically though well quite stoically i suppose but then there's not a lot of emotion shown through anyone in this serial, is there? No, I guess not. I I mean, what's his face? Neva. He shows quite a lot of emotion. Generally just overexcitement, though, isn't it? Uh, overexcitement <laughs> or, or underexcitement. I mean, uh, towards the end, he is catatonic. Practic- he's not catatonic, but he is 
underwhelmingly I think unemoting. Is, is he not just paralyzed by rage? <laughs> Every time he speaks, he's like, and I'm going to kill him. <laughs> <laughs> Possibly. <laughs> by the way, just to rattle off a handful of names, we have Leela, we have Neva, Andor, Lugo, Zoanon, and Thomas. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's Thomas, actually. Oh, sorry, Thomas. <laughs> right. <laughs> And we have a Caleb as well. Oh, that's true. Yeah, you know what? Yeah, you're right. The, the, uh, the, I don't know. Naming's hard. <laughs> Naming is hard. But wait, hang on. So let's get back to this. So her dad goes, no, don't subject my daughter to this challenge, to this, effectively, the sacrifice. Yeah. I'll do it instead. As in, he will now take the punishment upon himself. He is sacrificed. And they still go, yeah, I mean, we still need to punish you. So you are banished. She's banished. And then one of them, I can't remember who it is now, goes, actually, we should also kill her. And then sends a couple of hitmen after her. Who, th- who sends the hitman? I don't think I actually saw who did it. I think it said that Neva did it. Neva? Neva? But, oh, okay. And just a slight interpretation I had differing to yours of the whole her father uh, sacrificing. Yeah. So I took it that her sentence was banishment, mm-hmm. and there was the option that she could stay if she passed the test. Oh, that she, makes sense. Which she didn't want to do, and then the leader, Andor, said, or someone can do it for you. Right. And her father stepped forward. So if, it, if her father had passed the test, she would have stayed in the tribe, and she wouldn't have been banished. Okay. That's, that's how I interpret it. Anyway. I, I, that makes sense. See, th- this is why I had to go and read the synopsis, because <laughs> I didn't really understand much of what was going on in this serial. But okay, so thank you for that. And yeah, the, the only thing I was, I was going to carry on with about Leela's character, which I saw as a, a, ever so slight negative, was, okay. just, was just how quickly, once the Doctor is on the scene, that she literally takes his hand and follows him. It was just a, a little nitpicky thing. It's just... She went from totally having her own agency, driven to just survive. She's still kind of questioning like who this alien is. It looks like literally the evil one. <laughs> yeah. But he's obviously he's good doing a good spiel and she's in a hard predicament, so she follows him. But it's it's just the the way she does it and the literal hand holding. It's just a bit of a You are right that that does happen, but I interpreted that slightly differently. Okay. I took that to be Leela assumes he is the ultimate evil. He is the Satan of this planet, the evil one. And he controls these creatures that are inevitably going to kill her. If he offers her a way out of that situation, that is genuinely the only way out she has. There is no other way. Um. And therefore she follows him, if for no other reason than... um, Well, I can think of two, actually. Either she feels that she doesn't stand a chance against him as the ultimate evil, or she feels that she's buying some time for herself. I'll buy it. (laughs) <laughs> so these phantoms, these invisible creatures. Yeah. All right. So they are, first off, excellent. I love a good invisible creature. We my, my, have a lot of them in Classic Who. Yeah, my note is invisible monsters, sigh. Yeah, so cheap. <laughs> it's much cheaper to think of a costume for an invisible monster. <laughs> these invisible creatures, we get two indications of their physique as opposed to them just being straight up invisible. 
the physique has, I mean, they leave footprints. We get two scenes of them actually treading on ground, and we yeah. just see the ground sinking. So that implies there's weight, there's an actual mass. It might be see-through for some reason, but it has mass. This creature has mass. Yeah, and unless I misjudged the scale, they looked huge. They looked enormous, yeah. exactly, yeah. And then we also get the beautiful scene of the alarm clock being crushed. Yeah. That's gorgeous. That is very nice. I'm not entirely sure how they did that, but that was beautiful. And I also wasn't quite sure just before they crushed the alarm clock, the phantoms just move some rocks around. Yeah, yeah I love that. Like, they're like throwing it around. Like, damn, that's, oh, damn it. I guess it was like, that's not the one that's making the noise. That's not the one that's making the noise. This is the one. Smash. <laughs> Do you think it was stop motion? I feel like I need to go back and watch that scene again, but I wonder if it's if it was a stop motion crushing of that alarm clock. It's possible. I, d- I didn't put my brain to it, really. I just, I just enjoyed watching it. Mm. I guess it could have been like a, a foil reproduction or something. That... I suppose. And then maybe like a string inside they pull on the string to yeah, collapse it. Well, regardless, beautiful. Very nice, yes. However, this means, this all implies an invisible creature with mass. We also get the creature hugging Andor to death. Like it crushes him. It hugs him. <laughs> well, I took it to be a hug. I mean, th- this, this... With a little tickle of luck. <laughs> Sorry, that's a stupid way of phrasing it, but I mean, Andor, the leader of these tribesmen, gets physically crushed by one of these invisible beings. Yeah. Yeah. But then later on, we find out that these invisible beings are in fact not invisible beings at all. They are just these almost holographic projections, this, this energy exuded by the evil one, by the supercomputer. Yeah. It even takes on the projection, this holographic face of Tom Baker later on. Yeah, I didn't get that. That's not physical. It doesn't ha- It certainly doesn't leave footprints. Yeah, I, I can't help you here. I'm sorry. Right. I didn't understand it. <laughs> <laughs> I think if we, if we want to give benefit of the doubt to the serial, perhaps it literally is two dis- different things. Because at this... Oh, you think so? At this point, I'm trying to think actually, when the Tom Baker manifestation happens, yeah. is the Doctor already there talking to the computer and monkeying around with stuff. I I think the hologram or whatever, the giant doctor face that appears in the jungle, I think that's much later. That's when they're attacking the time barrier. By the way, we need to talk about the time barrier. Oh, I'm not going to be able to help you there, right? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So I think the only thing we can do if we're giving it the benefit of doubt is perhaps say that whilst the computer had more control over things and was running the show entirely, it could somehow project a physical, like, phantasm. Okay. And then when it was under attack and or was stretched more thin dealing with other things, it was a less physical. Maybe it's also just to scare them. Maybe yeah. it's... It's imitating footprints just to scare them. This is the same supercomputer that has imbued one species on this, or one tribe on this planet, with telepathic abilities. Yeah, I don't know how the feck it did that. <laughs> <laughs> this is, like, it's... This is said at the end of... Yeah. As, like, a very matter-of-fact, this is... I made those people savages, yeah. and I made these dudes telepathic. In, in the name of eugenics. Yeah. Because having two separate... Factions fight each other. Fight each other means that they will evolve quicker, adapt quicker. Something to that effect? And I mean, this computer is basically projecting, right? This computer is going, well, I'm having an inner dialogue. (laughs) (laughs) I need to split up my soul faction into two factions so that they can have a dialogue. (laughs) And then, like, play them like puppets. It's like, hey, show me on the tribe where Doctor touched you. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, so I I did not get 
like even if we put aside the fact that yeah, there's one tribe over here which is fairly cave people like. Yeah. I can't remember what their what was their positive trait meant to be? The uh, they were or? something like they're brave and well, I think I made a note of it. The the they're Gryffindors. Y- yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Loyal and brave or whatever. And these ones are slivering bastards. Some yeah, something to that effect. Wait, hang on. <laughs> There's so much to unpack it. If Zoanon, the computer, decided we have all these humans, we're going to split them up into two groups, we're going to make one group savages, and the other group is going to be intelligent. Why are the savages surrounded by old discarded pieces of technology that have been repurposed, and the other group gets to live with Zoanon, but never actually see how it works, where it works? Like, Why do they get clothes? Why do they have... You mean, why aren't they in just a different cave? Yes, exactly. Yeah. Why are they with Zoanon? Let's, let's say that then. Why are they in the same station as Zoanon, but not with Zoanon? Yeah, I don't know. And they're like they're surrounded by computers. They get to live with the computers that more or less work, but they don't know how they work. They know nothing about that stuff. No. So you must assume that Zoanon has removed that knowledge from them. Yeah. I mean, I, I have no idea how Zoanon is meant to have done all this stuff. For a start. Yeah, it's bullshit. But Zonon does manifest a sofa at the end. That's very true. So clearly, can just create stuff out of nothing. Or like rearrange atoms to do something. Could could Zonon just have created all these people? Maybe. I didn't put enough significance on the fact that Zonon just creates a sofa out of thin air. (laughs) If that is not a metaphor for all of this being an episode about psychoanalyzing the Doctor, I don't know what is. Because he just makes a sofa and plonks the doctor on it. Yeah. And then asks him about, like, how he feels or whatever. So how does this make you feel? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I I did enjoy this episode. I this, love this episode. This serial. But I, I do feel, especially now we're talking about it, <laughs> that I'm starting to have more questions than I had at the start. <laughs> this is usually the case when we discuss one of these serials. But yeah, no, up front, before we get too deep into this, I loved this. I really loved this serial. I think I did. I felt like sometimes I did lose interest a bit with it. Okay. Like the the primitive tribe thing is a bit of a trope. The invisible monsters are a bit of a trope. But they do put a spin on, on most of these things. Like the invisible monsters, maybe not perhaps. We're just questioning what the hell they were in general. But certainly the primitive tribe thing, I think that was quite an interesting twist. That there's another tribe that's been set up differently. And it ends up that they've both evolved or been adapted from if Zoanon had a more hand in it, from the same crash spaceship. Yeah. Like, is, is that the other thing as well? Like, did all of this start with a, spa- a crash spaceship, or was there something else before that? No, I think I think that's what happened. I think, so, human colonists arrive on this planet. And are, are they definitely human? Yeah, I think so. Yeah? Okay. I think they're, they're human con- colonists, and they have left Earth, they're now colonizing a new planet, they've arrived here, they crash, the computer is slightly damaged in the crash. The Doctor just happens to stop by repairs the computer, goes, oh, I'm missing a few ones and zeros. I should probably make a copy, a, a duplicate of my subconscious and use that to fill the gap. Does so, leaves. The computer goes, oh, fuck me, there are way too many ones and zeros. <laughs> goes absolutely bonkers, divides the people into two, makes a sofa and makes one group telepaths. That's yeah. what happened. The only thing I would throw in there as an additional is I'm pretty sure the doctor said that the 
the humans accidentally created the computer as a living entity. Oh. And it was it was the fact that they accidentally gave birth to an AI, an AI effectively. And it took the doctor... I, I think the doctor says he didn't realize what the, the signs were, but it was it was like birthing pains, I think is the phrase he used. Like he, oh, really? He, he, he was approaching the, the kind of problems with the computer as if it was just, yeah, I need to do some programming. Whereas really it was the problems associated with a new life form. And that's why it went mad rather than it just having a little patch. Quite how he is meant to do any of this just by putting his mind into a com- computer interface, I'm not sure anyway, but that, that was kind of what I heard at one point. Okay, all right. Which it doesn't massively change anything. I just, it was no, just, it's just kind of interesting that the, it, it was the humans that were meant to have created this zone on... I think this serial AI, bears rewatching. Obviously, most of Doctor Who bears rewatching, if not yeah. all of Doctor Who, but certainly some stand out as wait, there is way more to this than you catch at, at the first on the first viewing, and this I think is among them. I, I just thought there is another serial, a first Doctor serial called The Savages. That's the one where the Doctor has a vibrator. <laughs> Excuse me. <laughs> I'm not kidding. I'm not kidding. He has a device. It's called. Uh, it's it's called like the I can't, it's something it's something sonic vibrator. <laughs> it's something to that effect. It's like this gigantic contraption that he wears around his neck. I can't. Remember. Any whatever. In The Savages, there are all these cavemen who attack the TARDIS with spears, or maybe they've got bows and arrows. And then there is a city of very sophisticated people. They refer to themselves as elders, and they hate the cavemen. Like they're, they're using them for something. I can't, re- I can't remember exactly. I think they're using their like life energy to make themselves live longer. I can't remember. Mm. Also, a serial that bears rewatching. But it turns out, actually, they're all the same people, and the elders have been using some form of technology to like sap the intelligence from some people oh. thus turning them into savages and there i mean there are definite parallels between these two serials i feel like that that must crop up on other occasions i'm trying to think of there was one serial where there was a a little alien fellow who we really wanted to to be the companion he was like the yes not quite uh, Professor Magoo, but death of know, the daleks possibly yes this is the one that uh, Michael Ridgway uh, pointed out, I think justifiably so, that we we slated for no reason. Yeah, it's, I think it's the one that we, we kept kind of referring to and thinking of weeks and weeks later. Yeah. Like, like, uh, actually, actually, that's yeah, a really if, good serial. If we're it? still thinking of it, it must have been all right. Yeah. <laughs> but I, You're I, right. There's a, there's a super civilized city there that basically takes over everything. And that city is then worshipped as a god. Have I, have I slightly misremembered? Because I... The excellent. Maybe this is this is the wrong one. I'm not sure, but I'm sure there was a thing where there was kind of. Maybe, maybe that is, is the one. one. That where, is the one. They are the, the Exelons. Yeah, they're basically they are the same race, but they slightly mutated or something. Or there are Exelon mutants who are created by the city as sort of gods, as I recall. Uh, ah, yeah, uh, to, to fight. So the Exelons super. I. I I'm pretty sure that this is the case because I've been writing all these descriptions for all the tags and the oh, big decks yeah. for the next website. And when I looked up the Exelons, they were, I had to look them up. They were super civilized species, super civilized society. They build this very technologically advanced city. The city starts just like, it instigates a purge. It just kills lots of them, casts them out into the wilderness over generations and generations, like millennia, effectively. They deteriorate into savages, cavemen, and they still worship the city, which still works as some sort of god. 
very similar to this. Yeah. You're right. Oh, this is what I'm saying. We need a trope vindex <laughs> on the websites. A trindex. Yeah. I if anyone in podcast land is interested in putting that together, by the way, you are more than welcome to do the legwork. <laughs> <laughs> I think what's interesting with this serial, though, is that for the most part, I don't think I cared. Like I said, like the primitive tribe trope and the visible monsters trope. Yeah. They, they, they rang some bells and it was just like, okay... Someone's doing a paint my numbers here. But they were the only little niggles, I think. Because I think everything else just had a little twist on it. Had had enough kind of new paint that you didn't notice the, uh, the scuff underneath. Yeah, I see what you're saying. I've got another question for you, actually. I, it's a bit of a shame that... Drew isn't around for this because I wonder if this would tally with some of his um, blog posts. This is interesting because I had a note I was wishing Drew was around for. Oh. Will it be the same thing? I wonder if it is the same <laughs> thing. I feel like there are quite a lot of anti-religious sentiments in this serial. Quite possibly. Everything from Leela tells the doctor, you don't need proof if if you have... Oh, why do you need belief? Uh, why, why would you believe if you don't have any proof? And the doctor goes like, oh, I could tell you... I could quote you a few theologians who'd give you an argument against that. And um, He refers to religious gobbledygook at one point. He says, with proof, you don't have to believe. That wasn't him, was it? Oh, was it not him? No, I think that's... Oh, I can't remember who it was, but it's it's one of the, the Sever team. Oh, okay. In yeah, fact, sorry. Yeah, it's someone talking to Neva... Or oh, right. So, so that when feels they, like... they see their paradise sort of thing. So I feel like that's another case of, like, the same kind of anti-religious dissidence that Leela incorporates in the beginning is yeah. then echoed by someone else. You're right. It's by, what's his face? The the other chap with a neatly cropped beard. I can't remember. Is it Caleb? Yes, that's Caleb, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. We have to come back to Caleb, by the way. Okay. I look forward to yeah, that. that. <laughs> but I, I, I would be quite curious to hear how someone who is religious, like how they would perceive that. Yeah, I think I, I can't speak for those people. Well, nor I. But I would imagine at this point you kind of accept this is what Doctor Who does and a lot of sci-fi does because it's kind of the nature of the beast. Yeah. You're, you know, you're contemplating... Science is God, yeah. Well, you... And also, you're contemplating the universe beyond what we understand, and in some of those places, we currently put God. So Yeah, that's true. You have to break through that to have an interesting conversation about it, in a way, I suppose. Yeah, you're right, I agree. But I guess if I had a strong belief, and I felt like people writing and working on Doctor Who had a strong belief, I could also believe that a lot of this is, well, these are all false gods. This is what happens when people believe in the wrong thing. I don't know. Yeah, I, I thought that for a while but during this serial as well. But it's one thing if he criticizes the specifics of this one quasi-alien religion. Mm. But he doesn't. He makes it very generic. He, he basically says, no, no, religion is the antithesis of reason in a way. Oh, uh, okay. I, well, that's how I took it anyway. Yeah, I think I maybe missed... Because I, I didn't recognise the exact quote you gave earlier, so I, I think I missed a bit. There's a line here, gods don't use transceivers, which made me yeah. think of Star Trek V. What does God need with a spaceship? I don't know if Star Trek <gasps> films well enough. Oh, dude. I'm sorry. Final Frontier, it's I'm, the one everyone not loves the, to hate. I'm not the Trekkie you want me to be. <laughs> so what was the point that you were curious to hear Drew's take on? It was the line, with proof you don't have to believe. Oh, I see. Because yeah. that's a very on-the-nose yeah. thing to put in there. And it's not a big conversation. Like th These are two, from our point of view, quite primitive individuals. 
that have literally been confronted with the realization of a parable, a uh, gospel, whatever, whatever you want to imagine the interpretation is. Yeah. They've literally seen the thing it talks about and it's maybe two sentences each they have to discuss it. And one of them is <laughs> with proof you don't have to believe. <laughs> We, we've just thrown away everything now. <laughs> Generations of religion. <laughs> yeah, which I took to be actually, like, I don't have any religious beliefs, and I'm quite happy for the most part of science taking the, you know, the, the front run, and it just being a science show and, and everything, you know, as long as we're not offending people. Yeah, yeah, I'm with you on that. But I couldn't help but think in this situation, like, this is actually proving the thing you believe in, but you're talking like it's disproving it. But it's, I mean, okay, so the one way that they could see it, I mean, it, taking what you just said, the, the way that that would work for them, if, if that were the case, the way that that would work for them would be them saying, well, we've just seen God, so, or the devil, whatever, we've just seen the devil, so clearly our belief in religious good versus religious evil is true. But they view it from a different perspective whereby they say, well, now that we've seen the devil, clearly he's not the devil. Like, ipso facto, our religion has flaws. Like, our beliefs are not accurate. I guess in some ways it is. It's meant to be more an accumulation of things that have happened up to that point. But I guess the beef I have is the thing they are literally talking about is a line in, like, a parable or something that they recite and it talks about I can't remember exactly how it's phrased, but it, you know, it's something like there's there's a a barrier, and then there's a I don't I don't maybe it's not paradise world, but there's you know there's some different world beyond. Yeah, they go through the barrier, they see a different world beyond. Yeah, exactly. There's like, a paradise or something on the other side. Yeah, and yes, they've already seen the Doctor probably isn't evil. They believe him at this point to be mortal, and they they've seen the other race of Tesh and like everything is oh, the entire belief Wait, have system they is seen the Tesh? They haven't seen the Tesh? No, I've, they just believe that there are Tesh. No, at this point I think they have. I think they've fought them already up to this point to get, oh, to get oh, in. Oh, okay. Um, I think it's a brief little interlude uh, in the middle of their, their big invasion. Oh, right. Okay, sorry. I, th I think that's the pacing of it anyway. And yeah, they just have this little sidebar of, of looking out onto the, the kind of red landscape-y map painting picture that they ha they do for that one scene <laughs> and just go yeah everything's bollocks now isn't it <laughs> I suppose it is jerry yeah on a similar note i was intrigued by the behavior of um i keep forgetting his name neva the the priest the shaman 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 i'm never quite sure shaman shaman <laughs> <laughs> who at first seems like he absolutely does seem like a false prophet. Yeah. And when he says, I heard Zoanon say those things, he spoke to me. Lila goes, absolutely not. He doesn't exist. You are lying. So we assume false prophet. Then yeah. we get to see, actually, he's not a false prophet per se. He's just misled by Zoanon. He's too primitive to understand that this technology is not divine. And he is actually telling the truth. He is reciting what Zoanon has told him. But then he is very quick to tell the leader, you know what? Why don't we just lie <laughs> to them? Why don't we give them a false religious reading of this? And that way the people will do exactly as you command. They will fight. Yeah. I didn't understand that, to be honest. I didn't understand why... They were really up for their warriors to go out and fight that particular time. Was that something that was written in the religion? or Because the way they talked about it, it was that hadn't happened for a very long time. Yeah, it's something about this barrier opening. Like it is temporarily open. Right. 
that's how I interpreted it. Or that's what that's what I got from this. So the barrier is temporarily open. On the other side of this barrier is Zonon, is their god. So the the evil one has made the barrier. Because the barrier is now temporarily open, we don't know when it'll close again. We should take this opportunity and attack. And that's the only way that we will save our god. Yeah. But so later on, we also get Zonon saying... Not Zonon. Yeah, no, wait, whatever. Zo- I mean, they're all the same, right? Zonon and the evil one, they're just yeah. multiple personalities of the same AI. So the uh, this AI goes, well, I'm now going to open the barrier because that barrier is also what is keeping my invisible phantom dudes at bay. If I open the barrier, they're going to storm the savages and then I'm going to be free to kill everyone. See, I took that barrier to be the protective barrier. I don't know what this time barrier thing is. So there are two different barriers here. Well, because there is... Wait, there are two different barriers, because one is, like, black and sparkly. That's the time barrier. You're right, and the other one is completely invisible. The other one is... Like a force field. A load of little devices popped down that that are emitting some frequency that the the phantasms apparently don't like, which seems, again, flies in the face of what these phantasms appear to be. Yeah, exactly. Because they're meant to be mental projections or, or some kind of projection from Zoanon. Which would imply Zoanon is controlling them at all times. So why would he, because no one else would be able to, put up these barriers? Yeah, Yeah, you're right. Yeah, those are different story elements that have been pieced together somehow. Maybe they've been scavenged from other discarded scripts. I mean, they're all really cool sci-fi concepts. It's just that together they don't necessarily make perfect sense. So this this episode... I'm trying to think, see where it ends... So this first broadcast, oh, we are now into 1977. Yeah, January 77. So this actually was the first broadcast on New Year's Day. In, uh, oh, nice. The first episode. Okay. The story was first drafted in 1975, in early 1975. Really? Wait, so that, wait, what? And it just so, stuck around for two years to do... According to Wikipedia, so Chris Boucher is the the writer for this. Yeah. And this is his, his first script. So he, he submitted a script in early 1975, which Robert Holmes didn't quite like, but I think he saw some promise in it. So I'm guessing it sat around for a while and then eventually they started to rework it and make it. Oh, so some script editor starts tinkering with it, making it more elaborate, maybe. Or actually, by the sounds of it, they sent it back to Boucher to, to carry on working with. But yeah, they, they spent, by the looks of it, months actively kind of rewriting and redrafting and, and sorting things out. And it eventually gets picked up at the start of 76 as a, a proper script. But the the names for it... Oh, yeah, I found one alternate <laughs> title for it. <laughs> one of them is just amazing. I really wish they'd come with it. I know exactly which one yeah. it is. Go for it, go for it. It was going to be called The Mentor Conspiracy. Okay. The men- Mentor Conspiracy? Yeah. Okay. Then it got retitled to The Tower of Imolo. This is already hinting at like how different it must have been, how yeah. the names changed and whatever. What tower? What yeah, tower? Exactly. Yeah. And then, for quite a long time, I think, it was called The Day God Went Mad. <laughs> <laughs> Best title ever. The interesting note they have on Wikipedia as well is that Hinchcliffe didn't dislike it because of the religious connotations. Is that it wasn't in keeping with the other titles. <laughs> it wasn't a... The something of something, I'm sorry. <laughs> if you could put an of in there, it'll be fine. <laughs> well, we've also at this point had the mind of evil and the planet of evil. So this is what I'm saying. Like we're yeah. Gradually, you know, hey, if you stick around long enough, you get a whole person. We've had the mind of evil. We na- we've had the hand of fear. 
Yeah. We're now getting the face of evil. <laughs> Actually, I went to the uh, TARDIS Wikia list of all episodes and just controlled or command f stuff like eye and nose and mouth <laughs> <laughs> just to see, like, wait, how long are we going to have is, to wait? Is there a nose of something? No, but wouldn't that be great? <laughs> <laughs> I had to look, dude. <laughs> The nose of fear. The left earlobe of terror. <laughs> yeah, I I genuinely do get the impression that this more than possibly any other script. I don't I don't know, maybe they all went through this kind of history, is just rewrite, cut a bit, and no one sat down at the end of it and went, um, you know that that bit that appears in the first episode that we never come back to. Do we, do we want to address this again? Like the time barrier thing. What what is that? Because that that is never used again. No, and why everyone is else a... goes through Mount Rushmore to get. What makes it a time barrier? I don't know because this is, is the phrase the Doctor uses. Is it just a force? I know, but is it just a force field that covers like a giant expanse of jungle, with the exception of the mouth of Mount Dockmore? Is that the o- is that the only thing it is? Because there's no time travel element to this, right? If you, it doesn't prevent. Wait, is there? No, there's not. Well, I'm not missing anything. It's never there, said further on that it is because because when it, they use the term time barrier. My immediate thought was, oh, the Doctor's going to meet himself from a different time. Like, that's what it was implying. Is like, yeah. there is another version of a Doctor on the other side of his barrier. But obviously, that's not what happens. And there's nothing to imply that there is a difference of time in anywhere in this serial. I'm just looking on Todd's Wicket to see, oh, wait, there's such a thing as a time barrier. I want to find out what it is. A time or temporal barrier was a force field-like defense. Everything within the barrier could be projected at least a second into the future, preventing any energy or anything physical from penetrating to the other side. And apparently that is from the face of evil. I missed that completely. Yeah. Right, interesting. So it's, it's just an impenetrable wall? Effectively, yeah. Okay. By the way, so since we were talking about Boucher, he's also written the next serial, The Robots oh. of Death. And then he's written another one, which is uh, another legendary one. And then he also wrote Image of the Fendal, another legendary one. Mm-hmm. Onto a roll, eh? Yeah, which I'm not sure I've seen, actually. But that's another Leela one. <gasps> Leela and... No, I'm not going to say it. I'm not going to say it. It's, I don't want to spoil anything. <laughs> okay. You'll see. So unless you have anything to nicely segue into... I might go back to that pin I dropped. Oh, let's talk, do it. Talking about Caleb. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I More importantly, I want to talk about the actor that plays him. Mm, is this a Doctor Who connection? Well, there is a Doctor no. Who connection. Oh, yes. There is also... So, d- did you recognize him for a start? No, I don't think so. You didn't? Okay. So, anyone of a certain age in growing up in the United Kingdom might recognize him from an uh, earlier 80s children's television show called Johnny Briggs. where he he played the father which is where i actually do mostly recognize him from but okay he was also in star wars wait what he doesn't have a massive role but he is recognizable in the role probably (laughs) you have to have seen him before whom does he play in star wars he is an empire officer who i don't actually know if has a name no, he's commander number one. He is apparently credited with. Haha, I've just found a screenshot of him next to Darth Vader. Yeah. My goodness, that's him. He has seriously impressive sideburns, by the way. <laughs> yeah. Well done, Leslie Schofield. 
Leslie Schofield, by the way, also, uh, it says on Todd's Wikia, most known for playing Jeff on EastEnders. Yeah, he apparently has a big stint in EastEnders. He's also know, in Corrie as well. By do the you way. know who else had a very big stint on EastEnders? Someone who appeared in 210 episodes of it. I do not. I say this as someone who has literally never, ever, and intends to never, ever see a single episode of EastEnders. But Louise Jameson, Leela. Oh. She played someone called Rosa in 210 episodes of EastEnders. Wow. 210 episodes. Is that a year? Is that a year of EastEnders? I think it's about a week, isn't it? Right. <laughs> <laughs> By the way, I saw that Louise Jameson also appears in a number of <clears throat> probe videos. Excuse me. <laughs> which are like direct-to-VHS movies, which we will have to review at some point. They are sort of spin-off-ish, I think, non-canonical spin-off-ish movies starring a a number of actors from Classic Who. Is this the same thing we talked about before with the Brigadier and his... The the first, like, media production where his daughter is mentioned... Or well, actually is a character. Either. Maybe. They, those might also have been probe ones. So probe is it's P-R-O-B-E, just like unit is U-N-I-T. So it's a, uh, it's an acronym for something. And uh, I only read the description of one. Of, there are tons of them, like four or five of them. And I read the description of one of them, the blurb on IMDb, and it said something to the effect of former unit agent Sarah Jane Smith. Uh does this and that and whatever, and lots of, act- including lots of Doctor Who, as in actual doctors, former doctors appear, not playing the Doctor. What? Yeah, so Pertwee was in there, Peter Davison I saw in a few of them. How weird. Always playing other characters. Oh, and do you know who else? Mark Gatiss. <laughs> yeah, this is what Mark Gatiss was doing in the 90s. Wow. Pretty cool. Anyway, yeah. Probe. <laughs> uh, going back to Leslie Schofield very quickly. Yeah, sorry. Oh, sorry. He, he does have a Doctor Who connection as well. Oh, he does, yeah. Oh, I apologize. He, I didn't mean to cut you off there. He also popped up in the War Games, apparently. As Leroy? Yeah. Leroy? Oh, he's one of the Confederate soldiers. Yeah, I, I never would have recognized him. I don't, I don't remember that being a particularly memorable character. And strangely enough, David Garfield, who played Neva, was also in the War Games. Really? Oh, there are five actors working at the BBC in the <laughs> 70s, <laughs> the 60s and 70s. How do you feel about Tom Baker on this one? Complete departure, sorry. Tangent. I, how do I feel about Tom Baker in this one? I think he was on pretty good form, actually. I would have to agree with you on that one. Yeah, and I super approved of, so you know there's a point where Tom Baker holds someone at knife point, he says with air quotes, but it's actually a jelly baby point. Yes. <laughs> I will murder you with this <laughs> poisonous jelly baby. Yeah. So this apparently happened while Peter Hinchcliffe wasn't on set. Oh, and really? He was furious. What? Because the doctor was meant to hold this... An actual uh, knife? Yeah. It's a Stevatine person, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. He's meant to hold him up at knife point. And oh, I Baker much refused. This. Baker said the doctor wouldn't do that. And so he did it with a jelly baby. That's so much better. Yeah. Oh, well done, Tom Baker. Well done, That's Tom fantastic. Baker. I also love his comebacks. When the other Seventeen chap just calls like, his bluff. Kill him then. Yeah, kill him. He's like, Fuck I don't up. do what you tell me. I'm not He's always leaving, the, always leaving the seat up. Just kill him, please. <laughs> Tom Baker was really, really well written for in this episode. I mean, he does a beautiful job of portraying the Doctor in this serial. But he has so many little one-liners that are great. Don't hurry on my account when he's about to be sacrificed. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> 
can I turn around? I feel a bit silly talking to this tree. Yeah. I think... <laughs> and so on of, and so forth. A lot of it actually all made sense in the context as well. They weren't just throwaway one-lines to break a bit of tension or someone felt like there should be some comedy because we've not had it for three minutes. Yeah. They all made sense. Because like the tree one in particular... Like, Leela's hiding behind the tree. He needs to draw focus away. Yeah, and, you're right. You know, it's... Yeah, I agree. It's it's done very well for him in this. He's He also has ample opportunity to... He has so many opportunities to shine as a, a superior intellect. He gets to... He is the doctor. He actually gets to be a doctor in this one. He cures Leela when she yeah, is poisoned. He repairs machines. He establishes peace in the region. <laughs> of sorts. <laughs> Ish. And he gets to, I mean, there's a fair amount of action in this serial as well. Yeah. But he's he tones down the John Pertwee-isms a little bit. I mean, there's a point in part three or four, whenever it is, when, when one of the Tesh dudes is like, got him, has him in an arm lock oh, of some yeah. sort. And he is genuinely, I mean, he's been arm locked by this total dweeb like he doesn't know what to do and it takes him a while to break free but that's a that's an incredibly tense scene yeah because they're rolling around on the floor and at this point the walls have been electrified Electrified. yes exactly it's i mean the tension is incredible in that scene yeah the only thing that bothered me about that scene is that throughout it leela is crouched in the background because he elbowed her in the stomach yeah that's true it, it was just a I don't know. Like if, if they'd had a like lying on the floor in a bit more kind of agony, it would have would have been okay. It's the fact that she's just she's half kneeling, kind of like going, "Oh, oh, that's smart." Oh, bit. yeah, it's and, like a Family Guy scene. Well, I'm glad that she didn't get to be. I mean, that they didn't start off with her as this super gung ho action character. No, yeah, it's it's a nice middle line that they're drawing with yeah. her. Yeah. It's understandable from her background, and but but she I mean, she shows some restraint. Yeah, she's restrained enough that yeah. you can understand. Well, to be, to be honest, the ending. You know, I wasn't quite sure how the doctor was going to end up with her as the companion, and it turns out he just doesn't really have a lot of a say in it. No. <laughs> <laughs> she just runs onto the TARDIS. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> so he, yeah, he's not really choosing, but you can kind of understand why he might you know, like continue to not kick her off the TARDIS because. She does have that restraint. Yeah. She's not a homicidal maniac cave person. Uh, that's true. Even though she committed homicide and she lived in a cave. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Tom Baker as well does, I think, quite a good job being Zoanon. I agree. Yeah. Has opportunities to just be creepy, I suppose, with with the voiceover. Scary. Uh, deranged deranged certainly like more more so probably when we get the the video projections uh in the the kind of computer ai room and and what have you you know that's super kind of manical deranged absolutely yes also when he's just talking to him through the the helmet i mean the yeah. very first time that we get to hear him he's he's making so little sense his insanity makes perfect sense it's the whenever he's whatever he's saying it's like uh, we are here you are us i will get rid of us and we will survive and yeah it's just oh it, no th- there is it's just like this scene festering with paranoia and weird delusions very good job mm. there are lots of different voices in zoanon by the way yeah, I didn't pick up on as many as it seems that there are. There's a child's voice in there. Yeah. There's a female voice in there as well. There's a woman's voice, I'm pretty sure. Yeah, I believe so. And at least one other adult male. 
Yeah, I, I can't find the details anymore, but I'm pretty, I think you're right. I think there are a, a very minimum four voices yeah. in it. I definitely only heard Tom three. Baker and... I think it was, okay. I, I definitely heard another male voice and it was very clearly another, there was a female voice in there. Yeah. I'd never noticed a child's voice. Oh, you didn't? No. It's like when, when the doctor is writhing in pain on the floor. It's one of the cliffhangers. When the when Zonon is creating some sort of weird... Is I, don't it when, I, don't, I don't know what he does. Like he, he going, who are we? Or that, that moment? Yeah, 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 I think so. Yeah, exactly. It's when, towards the end of whatever it is, parts, parts two or three, part three, I guess, the doctor is yeah, in the Zonon ones and zeros room and just writhing in pain as we jump into end credits. And there's just, like, out of nowhere, kids' voice. Like, what? <laughs> and yeah, it, it, I didn't spot it as a child. It threw me yeah. for a loop. Yeah, I didn't quite understand why the doc was arriving in pain. I think maybe at this point I wasn't really accepting that Zoanon has this incredible mental capacity. Cause he can give some people telepa- telepathy and he can make sofas, but that is it. Like, he would be great at reading your future and working at Ikea. No, and, it, and he can project, like, what seems to be solid creatures. Yeah, wait, And he yeah. can... He can coerce, even possibly directly control people. Yeah, because because by the end of it, isn't it like all every single person that isn't the Doctor is yeah. being controlled by Zoanon? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, including Leela, by the way. Yeah, Leela tries to kill him on at least a couple of occasions. Yeah. She stabs a computer by mistake at one point. Yeah, yeah, that that was uh, another slight negative for me because we see literally we see Leela being mind controlled and she's. Yeah, damn straight, gonna stab the doctor and he moves out the way. And then four other dudes rock up, like some of the Tesh, some of the Sever team, and they're all brandishing knives, and then they all just stop and go, haha, we're going to kill you, doctor, sort of thing. They don't say anything, but like they're not there, like actively mid stab or anything. It's just the, the tension just falls out. Is this when he puts on the headgear and he defeats Zonon in the last minutes? Is that, is that it? No, I think, uh, Oh, possibly it is, but it, it, you know, it's it's giving him enough time to do something. Okay, they're all stood stood around him, brandishing knives. And, but we've literally just seen that under mind control, they are trying to kill the doctor, like yeah. straight away, just kill him because Leela just did it. She yeah. tried to just do it. Oh yeah, totes. And then it's just like, no, actually, all, all they want to do is threaten him. In that scene, by the way, I was very pleased to see the doctor use his skills as a hypnotist to bring Leela out of trance. Oh yeah, I thought that was really nice. And am I right in thinking he had his own crystal... I'm, I'm going to call it a crystal ball. What did he do? It was a sphere. I'm sure he got something out of his pocket. That I feel like he sonic it. Did he sonic it as well? I feel like he uh. takes something out of his pocket, he sonics it, and then he just brings her out of trance without ever using it. Like, what did he do? He just kind of held it and then, yeah, just spoke to her in a very kind of hypnotist type way. Really? That's what it looked like to me anyway. I just did a command F for Sonic on Todd's Wiki. Not mentioned. I must have misunderstood that. In either case, I liked that. It was much better. It was also much more realistic to have the doctor not induce catalepsy, but like <laughs> basically make her think that the gun in her hand was heavier and heavier and heavier. Like the, all these standard phrases you get in in, in uh, these scenarios, yeah. rather than have John Pertwee recite a Venusian lullaby and twirl a pocket watch and that's what makes you know that's that's what brings you into trance yeah it's an interesting i i still don't i don't really like the idea of the doctor being able to do mind control i don't really like how- i remember in the last episode you said that hypnotism was bullshit you son of a bitch <laughs> <laughs> yeah i'm not gonna 
bring it up again because apparently it's no it's fine it's fine <laughs> <So point. laughs> no it's fine can i try to hypnotize you sometime you can if you want great <laughs> <laughs> i don't really mind it being part of doctor who the concept so much i just i don't particularly like the doctor being able to do it all the time but it seems given what we've just seen with the master in particular in the last serial yeah and like you say we used to do this i don't know if i don't know if previous doctors did it much at all i don't think so yeah not that i remember like it is established that time lords have some mental capacity for telepathy and mind control certainly two of the most intelligent ones anyway yeah I mean, the master's level of uh, of mental control is off the charts bananas. And if the doctor had that power, I would just not be on board. Yeah. But I feel like, the, yeah, no, it, maybe they're dialing it back. We don't really get it in you who either, certainly no. not to this degree. So I think it's heading in the right direction. Yeah. No, I, I totally agree with you. I, I actually liked its use as well. I think in particular that it was being used to take someone out of a trance. Yeah. You know, that, yeah. that's the right way for the doctor to be doing this kind of stuff. A hundred percent. Totally. Using the tool the correct way. Yes, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> okay, question. Okay. Are there literally only two women on this planet? Oh, wait, you saw another one. Yeah. Oh, yeah. There's. Okay. <laughs> Say a few things. Highlight the feminist statement of this and my complete and utter agreement and like, oh, wow, I love this. And then I'm going to undercut that with a few <laughs> terrible statements. But um, we get Leela, obviously. Yeah. And she is among the, I've forgotten their name again now, but the... The Seva Seva team? team. Yes, thank you. Among the Seva team, she is, it seems, the only one until they have the battle of the barrier <laughs> whatever it's called you know when they when yeah. they attack there is one other woman who shows up oh i didn't spot her yeah she has no lines she just walks like when they're walking through the, through the jungle there's just um one of them toting a uh, a crossbow yeah walks past the screen done that's it she's got braids she's got braids oh, yeah he just winked at me podcast land i did not <laughs> maybe i did and then among the tesh total sausage fest yeah so two women, one of whom has no lines and is barely on screen. <laughs> yeah, I, d- I didn't even spot it. And that's this episode. Yep. Or that's this four-parter. Yeah, it's it's not really flying the feminist flag. Oh, sorry, wait. There's also the, I guess, a third... The, what, the voice? Yes, exactly. So the, the another yeah. personality of Zoanons is, is a woman. Which is not explained. The fact that there are multiple personalities beyond... Whatever Zoanon had, yeah, plus the Doctor. No, absolutely not. Where, where why, these other ones come from, I don't know. Why is there a child in there? Seriously. <laughs> like, why is there a child in there? Because people are stupid and they think children <laughs> are either creepy or... Well, they are creepy, but yeah. I don't know. <laughs> they can be. They can certainly be. Yeah. But this wasn't the stereotypical creepy child. No. This wasn't like... I mean, if, if there had been a creepy child voice, like singing a nursery rhyme or something, then that would have been the creepy child. Yeah. This was just a child joining in the chorus of Who Are We? Who are yeah. we? Yeah. Don't really understand. How about the Tesh? I don't think oh, we've talked about uh, yeah, them. Yeah, you're right. We haven't talked about them. Now, I... General top line, I feel like incredibly underdeveloped. Yep. Kind of came in it a bit too late. I'm just like, mm, I don't know what the fuck this is. <laughs> but we do get one, which I thought was a very nice scene, where we're kind of establishing that the Tesh are quite Vulcan-like, is, is the way I interpreted it. In, so, what, in what regard? Jabel, who is the captain of the Tesh, yeah. it, uh, is referred to as the captain, I think, all the time. Yeah, yeah, you're right. Uh, he 
he has an, an another Tesh, I think he was unnamed, rush up to him, all very hot and bothered about the fact that they're being invaded. Like, multiple Tesh are being killed by the, the savage Sever team. Yeah. Oh, oh my goodness, Captain, what the hell are we going to do? <laughs> and Jabo is like, now, this is not the behavior of the Tesh. This is animal-like. He doesn't just say animal-like, doesn't he say, is that the reason you're behaving like a complete and utter... Oh, what is he... Oh, wait, hang on, I'm going to find out. It might have been savage. It's of that nature. It's something to that effect, yeah. But, okay, yeah, fine. I'll never find it anyway. <laughs> <laughs> I thought I'd save you half an hour. But... Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> On podcast land. Because I'd refuse to cut it out. <laughs> <laughs> but it's it's a kind of a nice moment. Like, it's totally weird. And I don't think up to this point we had established how the Tesh really behaved. And they had this very kind of emotionless and really, like, by rot kind of society of... No, everything must be done in an orderly fashion. And it, yeah, it presents it as very much kind of like logic over emotion sort of thing. And, but it's kind of a nice moment. And it, it, does, it does set the scene. It's just a bit weird in how it does it between Captain and unnamed guy. Here's, the, here's my main problem with the Tesh. And it, is, it, it stems from the fact that I completely agree with what you're saying. They are presented as these very logical, very civilized society with a very clear concept of decorum. This is how you behave. These are people of various ranks. You respect your elders, you respect your superiors, etc. But they have no concept of technology. They don't understand how this place works. They don't know what anything is. And we never, ever get to know... You know, okay, so here's what I'm missing. I'm missing civilians. I want to see, like, how... Do they go to school? Do they learn things? Do they... How does it work? Or is it literally just a handful of Tesh? The same goes for the uh, Sever team, by the way. So what, what is general, regular, honest-to-God, salt-of-the-earth life as a Sever team or as a Tesh? What is that like? What's that about? Because there are a couple of hints... That there is way more to the Tesh than we get to than we get to know about. And I'm thinking of when the like red alert goes off in the city or in the space base. Yeah. And one of the Tesh, or like all the Tesh, in fact, they just retreat. They're just like, holy shit, we're lost, we're doomed. This is that thing that our myths and legends talk about as the apocalypse. This is the end of the world. Oh, yeah. And one of them just, like, breaks down. I mean, even talks to Leela. At that point, he isn't even trying to kill her or fight her anymore. Because what's the point? They're all going to die. Yeah. And that implies that they have a really rich history, or at least, like, a really rich body of mythological works that they completely buy into, that they completely believe. And we never get to find out what that is. And where do all the other Tesh go, by the way? Like all these dudes who give up hope and just leave. What What are they doing? They just walk off set and we never get to see what happens to them until later on the captain's talking to the lead Seva team and I guess we can assume that now they're going to merge into one society? Like, But what are they doing? Are they going to pray? Are they going to their families? Do they have families? Are there Tesh women and children? Are there Tesh civilians? I yeah, I, I think more so than possibly any other sci-fi thing, not just even Doctor Who. This is the most kind of a planet made of a village yeah distilled even further where it's, it's like a planet made of two corridors yeah and the people that inhabit those corridors yeah 
must have a purpose for the plot. <laughs> yeah, you're right. I, yeah, I, and that purpose, coincidentally, is to walk down corridors. Well, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and occasionally turn around and walk back around it as if it was a different corridor. That's right. <laughs> I didn't really kind of think... I think the Sever team, because they're a bit more tribe-like, you can kind of imagine, well, this is just... This was a gathering we saw because Leela was on trial. There were representatives from her family. The the shaman was there. The leader was there. The guy who wants to be leader was there. Like, they had a reason to be in that chamber at that point. But you could kind of imagine there was a bigger village outside of that. And yeah. that, was, that was fine. And then the other things we see, we see warriors going off and doing things. And it's like, okay, I'm still... We're just focusing on stuff. But is this a hunter-gatherer type situation? Are, are we only seeing the hunters? Well, quite possibly. But I think because of that society makeup, you can accept that you're seeing a microcosm of it. And True. Yeah, there's it it just a lens pointed at different bits. And I didn't even question it. I, I think I just imagined there was a bigger society around it. But the Tesh are a very different setup. You know, we don't have an equivalent to them because, as you pointed out very early on, they're allowed to stay in the space base. For no reason. For no reason. Like, they have candles around because they don't know how to turn the lights on in a room exactly. that doesn't have the lights on. Exactly. Or they're using them as a, as a worshipping altar type thing. There are computers all over the place. By the way, there are technological gadgets among the server team as well that work. Yeah, they do. I mean, there's that uh, there's the gadget that the, the doctor uses to distill some form of antidote. The bio kit, I think it the is. The bio kit. <laughs> All it took was a Sever team dude to press the on button. You're telling me that they've had like potentially millennia surrounded by these gadgets and no one's ever pressed a button. I know. <laughs> like, I've pressed rocks that look interesting before. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Is this not the same thing? <laughs> but yeah, I, I just really hammering my point home. I, I don't think I ever considered there was a civilization of the Tesh outside of what we saw because yeah. it's such a weird makeup. It it almost felt like they were their own kind of weird religious sect that was they're, almost they're, guarding They're Zoanon. both weird religious sects. Well, true. Wait, is that what they're doing? Are the Tesh guarding Zoanon? Well, as, as you were talking about it earlier, you know, not understanding why they're allowed to, to live in the base and the Sever team aren't. I did kind of wonder if, because the way Zoanon describes the Sever team as being this brave and possibly fierce, I don't know, uh, side of, of the, the species. And Meh. Yeah. Yeah. It's like maybe Zoanon is worried that without some kind of protection, they could eventually come in. And so why not have the faction that is meant to be working against them, but with them to, to create a fucking Aryan race or whatever. God, <laughs> Jesus Christ, I have no idea what the hell is yeah, going on. Um, they mention eugenics in this episode, yeah. but, or in the serial, but they, they never really finished that sentence. No, like, <laughs> you did be careful throwing that right? shit around, yeah. Yeah, yeah, right, Doc? Yeah, we did. <laughs> <laughs> but maybe, you know, maybe Zoranon did think that, well, if they're going to be fighting each other, yeah, and I need protection potentially from the one that's a bit more I'm, I'm letting to be a bit more free and might you know get wind of i exist and come and attack me then why not put the ones that are opposite to them right outside my door okay i've got a few questions for you all following on from this question one who chiseled the doc's face on the wall or did zoanon do that through telekinesis i think that would possibly be the only logical thing is that zoanon did it okay and at the same time make the mouth an entrance like why because it's 
Because it's the doctor's weird personality. You oh. need to leave a little sliver to get a signal through. And why not through my mouth? Okay. All right. Question two. <laughs> Once they have entered through his mouth, and by the way, I mean, podcast land, please fill in all the uh 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 Once they've entered his mouth, there is a dude in a spacesuit. And we get to see, well, we get to see at least one dude in a spacesuit in this serial, possibly just the one guy, and he gets killed. Gets like, he gets a knife thrown in his chest. Either, I was going to say either a knife or one of those thorns. The yeah, whatever it was called, the uh, Janus Jan- Jan- thorn. Oh, by the way, that was originally called the uh, Janus thorn. And Tom Baker, reading this from Todd's Wikia, pointed out that Janice Thorne sounded like the name of an out-of-work soap actress. So they changed the pronunciation. <laughs> well done, Tom Baker. Yeah, anyway, so we get to see a dude in a spacesuit. Who's he? He is apparently a Tash. Why is he in a spacesuit? Well, I He's think... walking around in a freaking spacesuit. I think this is, again, possibly a situation where the multiple rewrites and shifting of this story forgot to sweep something away. Because I'm pretty sure... The doctor sees him in the spacesuit and says, there's something... Oh, spitting over. <laughs> there must be something on the other side of this barrier, which I think is just before he walks through the wall, which yeah. turns out not to be there. It's a hologram or whatever. Yeah. That you need to wear a spacesuit for. Or he's, he's describing a situation where you must need to wear a spacesuit. Which you don't. Which we then never see anything. Because ev- Leela and the doctor both uh, yeah. walk through wearing... Everyone... Yeah, everyone. Everyone right. goes everywhere quite yeah. happily. Leela, in particular, very scantily clad. <laughs> yeah. Well, all all of the seven team are quite scantily clad. Yeah, but I mean, come on. There's a very gratuitous shot of uh, of what guy's ass. Oh, damn. <laughs> <laughs> As, I think he's. I think he might be picking up Leela. I'm not sure, but he he literally bends over in front of the camera. <laughs> Oh, marvellous. In his skimpy pants. Oh, great. Well, I'm, so I'm, it's not all sexist in, in the uh, the female way. Well, I'm glad. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> great. I may find some episodes going forward a little distracting, by the way, if this can, <laughs> continues. But yeah, okay. So that sort of answers my question of who Chap in Spacesuit is. Question number three. Why is there a projection of a wall inside the mouth of the face of the doctor. I'm just going to shrug my shoulders at that one. So, at this point, we're assuming no one would dare approach the face of the doctor. We're assuming that if you dare f- approach the face of the doctor, you're certainly not going to p- be foolish enough to climb into its mouth. <laughs> and if you climb into its mouth, you will then be stopped by the fact that there is a hologram of a wall in front of you. You're not going to touch the wall, you're just going to turn around and walk away. To be fair, it seems to be a, a small part of a longer wall, so you're gonna, you're probably just going to go, oh, there's no, no way out of here. I guess that's true yeah. like in defensive terms it's quite good i i don't really understand why it was necessary i give you that i don't understand why spacesuited guy is happily walking out and back in at that point what the hell was he up to what yeah exactly why was he i mean is that just like kev st- kev i've told you <laughs> i have told you leave the spacesuit alone <laughs> But it's so warm. It's so comfy. I can just <laughs> pee in it whenever I want. Oh, Kev, stop it. When you're walking around, it's sloshing like crazy. I know your legs are full of urine. <laughs> this is what I like. Give me a break. <laughs> Freaking Kev. Damn it, Kev. Just leave him. Who's that? Oh, that's Kev. He just sloshes about the place. Like We, we, we just let him go. It's fine. <laughs> there's, yeah, there's a... Um, unfilmed edit of this script where it's Doc and Leela see a urine trail going through the wall. 
You sprung a leak, Kev. Ooh, <laughs> damn it. <laughs> Gotta fill it back up. Um, <laughs> okay. Did that vodka hit by any chance? <laughs> Might have. <laughs> okay, wait. I'm sure I had more questions. I feel like three is a reasonable number. I guess so. Yeah. <laughs> Isn't it the magic Wait, number? weren't there four? <laughs> <laughs> Shall we rate this? Let's rate this. And now it is time to rate this. Did we laugh or hate this? Bing bong, bing bong, hey, la 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 la. Ratings. Do you want to start or shall I start? I can go for it. Go for it. I reserve judgment actually to change my score. That's fine. If, if we're wildly <laughs> apart, because I feel like we're probably on the same page for this one. Okay. And I just don't know what, to, <laughs> what number to assign to. Okay. So I, I think I mostly enjoyed watching this. I definitely felt on occasion that it was maybe dragging a bit. I just I wasn't quite engaged as I would have liked to have been. Okay. So quick, quickly, like the the negative things I've, I've mentioned probably multiple times now, like the the fact that there's a primitive tribe, like that's the first thing we see in this serial, and it is a hell of a trope. And like we talked about the one village on the planet thing. Okay, we've got two. <laughs> Yeah. Or at least a crash spaceship and a village. You know, the, there are a lot of tropes being ticked off through the serial. But then on the flip side of that, as a positive, I think a lot of them are subverted in there just being a little twist there. So, yes, we do. We get the Tesh as being an opposite, but also a linked ancestry uh, linked to the Sever team. We didn't actually mention the, the interesting wordplay on how it was the oh, yeah. survey team. You're right. Team. And the technicians became the Tesh. Yeah. Yeah. Which is, is interesting in a way, but goes on to another negative point where I think there's just, there are a lot of things in this that are underdeveloped. It, it reeks of being rewritten multiple times and just not all of the lost ideas being swept up properly into the rewrites. Yeah. There are quite a few things that just don't make sense we've we've talked about like minor individual things like a, a space-suited tesh wandering around and but I, th- I think there are potentially some bigger plot things as well which which we probably mentioned i've forgotten already but <laughs> <laughs> i think i think that's quite a major negative you have to throw at this that the like you were confused by the third episode of this that you had to sit down and go right okay what yep. the hell is going on like we've talked about this for well over an hour probably uh, close to an hour and a half yeah over <laughs> <laughs> i'm talking about once it comes edited and we're still questioning a lot of things like we've got answers for some stuff but you know we're questioning a lot of things that's not great really you don't want to be left there just going yeah this was all finally down it's it's tied up in a little bow it's nice to leave things open and you can be interpreted in different ways mm-hmm. but not just oh why was that dude there that just made no sense whatsoever like that's <laughs> that's not good we do have a massive negative as well that Whilst the entire tribe of Sever team are mostly scantily clad, like the the guys in that tribe are bare chested, and a lot of them are wearing skimpy pants. More or less bare chested. They, they they have a weird little. They have a little patch thing. They haven't yeah. invented eighty percent of the shirt yet. Yes. Yeah. They've invented the pocket before the <laughs> shirt. <laughs> Interesting take on tailoring, but <laughs> yeah. So like she's she's not an outlier in that uh, tribe. In, in how she is attired. But this is the new companion of the Doctor. You know, I, I've i looked her up. She doesn't... Hey-o. She doesn't get more clothes. Oh, really? By the looks of it. Like, is she, this her outfit forever, then? As far as I could tell, she might get one other outfit. And like, uh, I don't know, maybe there are situations, um, and maybe Google image search is not the best thing, because <laughs> clearly it's driven images, by perverts. Yeah. You know, but... <laughs> 
it. I saw her in scenarios that I haven't seen her in during this serial, and she's still wearing that outfit. Oh, you know, BBC. So I feel like. Thank you. I'm. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm joking. I feel like it's almost a sort of preemptive negative, but yeah. but it, like you said, Tom Baker didn't want this. He's it's forced upon him, and someone is also forced upon the idea that the companion needs to be eye candy. Yeah. Fortunately, though, she was more than that. She was she was a good character in her own right. Her and the Doctor worked well together. The Doctor was a good character in his own right in this episode as well. He, being Tom Baker, got to have fun playing the Zoanon crazy computer character. Like, there yeah. were a lot of good performances. I think, in general, the performances were great. The slight exception I would do to that is occasionally Neva and Andor, I think, in particular, were overly dramatic. Yeah, they were more theatrical actors, I think. Yeah, it, it's just... It was the more the kind of one level of acting. Oh, yeah. Of just okay, like, fine. and everything must be done because I am the leader and I talk in this very dramatic and commanding way, don't you know? <laughs> but all of that aside, all of the negatives aside, uh-huh. I think I got a lot of enjoyment out of this. I've enjoyed talking about it and it's kind of made me appreciate some bits of it more, just kind of revisiting it in my mind. I'm trying to learn from my mistakes with the Planet of the Daleks one. Is it? No. Planet of the Daleks, yes. Yeah. So if I'm thinking about it in a positive way, just talking about it, then I'm going to give it a slightly positive rating. So I'm going to go with a 3.5. All right. I had you down for a 3.2, but okay. okay, okay. 3.5 for you. I just looked up the chap who played Andor, thinking maybe I'd recognize him in something, but I, I'm scrolling down his IMDb page. I'm not re- recognizing... Oh, he was in 19 episodes of Maghreb in the, the, the 1961 to 1963 series, as opposed to the Rowan Atkinson miniseries. Right, so 3.5 from you. Very nicely summarized. I like it. Okay, here we go. Oh, blurg. <laughs> okay. <laughs> First off, I will say I added a rating for myself. As you were going through your mini-review, I bumped my rating down significantly. Oh. Then you wrapped up, or you were about to wrap up your mini-review... And I bumped it right back up to my initial rating. (laughs) Okay, so here we go. You're right. I was quite confused watching this. I don't think I'd seen this one before, by the way. I didn't recognize it at all. Part of the reason I was a little confused was because the plot is all over the place. Yeah. However, after this discussion, I actually feel like I have a better handle of it than I did before. And I also feel that it was actually really quite interesting, at least interesting enough to merit a rewatch to see if maybe I was confused for no real justifiable reason. Mm. I did think that it was too elaborate at times and not elaborate enough in others, and that's possibly due to having been stuck in some sort of rewrite hell for two years, as you mentioned. But once it got into production, I gotta say, production value is I mean, really rather good in the sense that they do a lot with relatively little we've got we get decent sets certainly yeah. inside the the space base or the city or whatever you want to call it the, those are decent we get an okay jungle although nothing is ever going to be as good as the jungle in planet of evil the hoarder we did we only touched upon those briefly we, we mentioned them on passant but these sort of piranha silverfish things creepy crawlies love them they're, they're a nice little addition to it they are are they another thing that's just underdeveloped, though? Or are you satisfied with... I'm satisfied. Use? I'm satisfied okay. with okay. it. And, and you know what? 
I really enjoyed the slapstick moments where they're demonstrating their piranha qualities and the doctor just like plonks one one on a 17 shoulder <laughs> who's now being eaten to death yeah, in the court. Here you go guy. <laughs> he runs off while the doctor <laughs> explains morality to savages. Um, the weird society that has been built here, both of the weird societies that have been built here and the marvelous ridiculous sci-fi concept justifying their existence, their coexistence in fact, is great. I don't profess to understand much of it, but I love it. And that includes all these little details, like the gesture to ward off evil that one of them, or a few of them do, which might be a reference to the sign of the cross. That's what I took it to be at the time, because there was so much other quasi-anti-religious stuff going on at the time. But it might also just be a, an actual symbol of how science has become religion you know, uh, to these people. The doctor actually explained it. The doctor says... Yeah, he says it used... It, that's how when you go through the spacesuit, that's how you, ch- yeah. you check that all these filters. Yeah, but these people have never seen a spacesuit. For all we know, they have been created as savages from scratch by Zoanon. So, I mean, either, either they haven't been created from scratch and they have just devolved, in which case this is science has turned into religion, yeah. or they were created from scratch, but or they were sort of wiped clean. Their minds were wiped, you know, tabula rasa, and they were plonked in these situations that were clearly, admittedly, manufactured by Zoanon, in which case, are these residual memories of their past selves, their sort of pre-clear the hard drive selves? I, I don't know, but I, I think that's also quite interesting, because I don't mm. understand what the origins of these these two societies is, yeah. or are, rather. Um, I don't know, but I love it. Doc is brilliant in this serial, and you might say that he always is, so what's the point in bringing that up? But he really stands out in this one, I think. You've already summarized this beautifully, so I'm not going to go into detail, but yeah, I, I feel like he gets to explore his range as an actor, Tom Baker does. And Leela, we get a new companion, and I was very worried at first because a i loved sarah jane smith and it's those are big shoes to to fill yeah definitely and b leela is she's introduced as a savage cave woman and i don't want that we had katarina who came from troy who stowed away aboard the tardis and traveled with a doctor and she was so primitive that there was zero rapport between those two. Like, I mean, she didn't have, they didn't have a common language. They didn't have any common references. She didn't understand what freaking doorknobs were. Like, <laughs> everything was beyond her. So the assumption that we were going to get another cave woman, like a cave person in the TARDIS, really scared me, really disillusioned me a priori. But she's great. She has great personality. Those two on screen, fantastic chemistry, <laughs> particularly impressive given that off screen they had none at the yeah. time, uh, or very little anyway. And in the beginning, when she is rejecting the help of Thomas in the jungle, and she's like, no, I can take care of myself. Yeah, hell yeah, she can take care of herself. Awesome stuff. There is, in that, and in the lack of scenes where she is just a damsel in distress, there is, at least in the context of 1977, there is a feminist statement being made. Yeah. And uh, unfortunately, that feminist statement is being made by someone in a v- who is very scantily clad. As in, this is clearly a show produced by men. Yeah. <laughs> that's what I'm trying to say. But um, but there is a there's a I like that. I really really like that. I, I did say before that I was going to undercut all of those points. So you know what? Here goes. Uh, haba haba me likey. Um, no, no. <laughs> I'm kidding. <laughs> Lila, great. But so those are all positive. Sorry, this is ending up as a rather long mini. But so some negatives. 
would you develop tools to fashion crossbows and arrowheads before you invented clothes? Uh, like those energy <laughs> weapons, they're really annoying to me, frankly. The pew, 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 like the, they were nice they're, effect, BBC, but do we have to see it all the time? Plus, they're incredibly impractical. Yeah, and they're super slow. And why are they like yeah. these little like energy balls? Like, like, you know what? I like the design of them, but I, I, I felt that they were very annoying. In all seriousness, also, like, would these dudes really banish the only, only woman? <laughs> <laughs> And last but not least, what the hell is going on? I have to rewatch this. However, I am giving this a relatively high mark. I'm giving this a 3.8. Oh, nice. Mm-mm. I will not be revising my score. All right, then. <laughs> <laughs> I wanted to talk about, and I forgot to put it into my little summary, Oh, just how much I liked the deconstructed spacesuit being reconstructed oh, into yeah. like tribal attire. Yeah. I thought that was awesome from a costume point of view. I loved it as well. I thought there was a Chekhov's gun in the prop department of the jungle because the vines are most blatantly plastic tubes. Yes, they are. Oh, you're right. You're right. Yes, they are. Which I was certain someone would say at some point, probably the doctor, that this has come from the crash spaceship. This world is the spaceship. Yeah. Never said. It just seems to be a crappy prop. Yeah, you're <laughs> you're right. <laughs> but I like just that ex- but I like that added reading into it though, that maybe this is all like it's a fake jungle. This is made made by a computer from bits of spaceship. Well it might mean that the Sever team never went very far. It was just uh, Yeah. They got to the end of the corridor and then something drastic happened and then the whole ship just deteriorated. Yeah. <laughs> Anyway, that was a random thing. I like it. I like it. Let's listen to some proper things <laughs> from our listener <laughs> minis. Listener minis. Now let's hear from podcast land. Max 250 or it would get out of hand. Kablamotron. Hello. <laughs> Welcome to the listener minis section of this podcast episode. Are you sitting comfortably? Excellent. Let's proceed. We've received uh, a few listener minis for this one. That's the higher end of few. It's not three. It's four. It's four. Uh, apologies, podcast land. We did announce this one at rather short notice. Or I did. I'm not going to spread the blame around. First out of the gate, we have Paul Forber. Hello, Paul. Hello there, Paul. Paul, you remember we had this conversation about the 250-word limits? Yeah. Yeah. So you went over that again. Paul, you're not the messiah. You're a very naughty boy. (laughs) So we're punishing you by just reading the last bit. Yes, that's right. Paul concludes. (laughs) New writer Chris Boucher's script dealt simultaneously with two complex, potentially controversial topics. Religion and abnormal psychology. Science fiction often speaks allegorically, commenting while entertaining. This story, says Paul, fits into the fourth Doctor's chronology while addressing one of the program's greatest criticism. The Doctor isn't often confronted with the implications of his adventures. Mm. Presenting a story where the Doctor faces one of his past previously undocumented mistakes gave him responsibility while cleverly moving the program into new territory. Agreed. Yeah, interesting. Paul? Good stuff. Dearest Podcast Land, if you want to read more good stuff by Paul, head on over to whobackwhen.com, click on this episode, and read his mini-slash-maxi in its full splendor. Paul can also be found on Twitter at WordsmithPaul. Oh, you know what? I forgot about that bit of trivia that I mentioned earlier. I'm just going to super quickly rattle this off from Todd's Wikia. The story okay. does not explicitly explain when the fourth Doctor repaired the Starfell 7's computer. However, there are hints 
that what happened in the novelization of this one. Namely, that during the story Robot, which you and I reviewed, in the moment when Sarah sees him begin to leave in the TARDIS, in actual fact, the Doc left in the TARDIS, had this adventure, returned to units, and forgot about all that stuff because he had just recently regenerated. And he was a little discombobulated. Hand wave. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Okie dokie. Well, thanks again, Paul. Next up, we've got Trenton Bless. Hello there, Trenton. What up, Trenton? Trenton starts. Though I enjoyed the face of evil, it did have a few issues. Oh. I mean, the concept is amazing. Two tribes, the centers of the original landing party, are sort of warring with each other. The mastermind behind it was a computer with a slice of a doctor's personality inside. But the issue, says Trenton, with this story is that it's not super original. Computer monster, done that before. Invisible monster, it's been done and will be done again. Jungle planets, didn't we see that only a few stories before? Come on, be original at least. Leela is a great addition to the show, though, says Trenton. And that's not just because because her outfit is so revealing. Uh-huh. Although that is a definite plus. <laughs> Agree, Trenton. Uh, th- those are Trenton's words, by the way. This, yeah. this wasn't me in- yeah, yeah. injecting them. No, okay. totally. <laughs> <laughs> Nicely caveated, Jim. <laughs> <laughs> Louise Jameson is brilliant as Leela, says Trenton, and brings this sort of warmth to the character. Definitely a great addition to the cast. The Sever Team and the Tesh are clever, disguised names for what the humans really were at one time. I enjoyed the mystery that unraveled over the course of the story. Very well done. I'll also say that the cliffhangers for parts one and three were done very well too. Yeah, I think the cliffhangers were mostly good in this. Mm. 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 Overall, says Trenton, this story makes up for its unoriginal elements by throwing a few wrenches into the mix here. Though I did enjoy it, I'm giving it an even 3.0 because it's just a bit mm, average. Fair enough, Trenton. Fair enough. Yeah. I think we're actually all on the same page. Yeah, yeah. Excellent mini, Trenton. Thank you, Trenton. People who are not Trenton, follow Trenton. He can be found at Trenton Bless. That's blessed with two what's, Jim? Uh, those hoarder-like things trying to bite your hand off. <laughs> I'm continually impressed by how you just keep coming up with those, like, just <laughs> on the Most fly. Most of the time I actually think about it, that one I was like, oh, fuck, I <laughs> forgot I do this thing. <laughs> All right. Thanks, Trenton. Next up, we've got Michael Ridgway. Ridgway. Hello, Michael. Hey there, Michael. Oh, my God, I love you. Michael starts with some things he liked. Big Mount Rushmore Doctor Head. Attack of the big angry floating Doctor Heads. <laughs> The Mad Max tribe wearing bits of space stuff. Particularly liked Looney Neva with his space glove hat. <laughs> yeah. The second foundation test tribe. Although their salutation bowels are ridiculous. Hang on, wait. Let me look at what second foundation is. This would be a reference to the foundation trilogy by Asimov, I uh, would imagine. Which I need to read again because I can't, ah. can't place the reference. Oh, very good. Both of you. Right, uh, next thing Michael liked, bloodthirsty Leela. More please. Mm-mm. Michael did, of course, have some boobs. The first one being, it feels like a sequel to a previous adventure. Did I miss it? Did we see the Doctor on this planet before? I was expecting some kind of timey-wimey twist, with a past 17-based Doctor shadowing a Tesh-based future v- 
version of himself. Instead, we get another most powerful computer in the universe gone mad. Yawn. Yeah, uh, by the way, sorry, slight tangent. Wait, we have a time barrier. This could pretty easily have been timeed and wimeed. Yeah, I, I generally thought it was when they, they threw out. Oh, the, wait, sorry. Yeah, you the, already the said this. Barrier. Oh, you already said this. I'm so sorry. I'm an idiot. Vodka, ladies and gents. <laughs> uh, right, next. <laughs> This all feels underpopulated. Massive tribal attacks and counterattacks aren't overly convincing with just four blocks on either side and one woman with braids. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, when your entire attacking force is then literally mind-controlled by the computer and they all fit in the same room <laughs> yeah, from both sides. And yeah. one of them is Kev and his legs are full of urine. <laughs> <laughs> Damn it, Kev. Kev. <laughs> the third beef is that this is the second... <laughs> I can't do it. No, you did a good job, dude. This is the second adventure of Mandragora. Mandragora. Where the Doctor is the central cause of a ton of death. <laughs> good job, Doctor. And then at the end, you just abandon these people. Yeah. I give it ten minutes before we start killing each other again. Hashtag duty of care. <laughs> the seventh doctor would have stuck around and mediated a sustainable peace agreement. <laughs> That's not what he said. He said settlement. <laughs> In the doctor's defense, Michael, he has at this point repaired Zoanon, and Zoanon can take the place of the doctor in terms of any mediation required. Yeah, did, did he really, like, bug test all of the stuff after removing his oh, personality no. from it? He's no, like, no. QA, do we need that? <laughs> Don't think so. Let's launch. <laughs> Straight to production. <laughs> Skip staging. <laughs> God damn it. Shop talk. Last booth. The doctor's escape from his gold finger laser death with a mirror. I forgot about that completely, oh, yeah. by the way. I call bullshit, says Michael. The doctor's mirror wasn't touching the laser. What if the laser had moved in Leela's direction first? Boo. Boo indeed. Michael gives us a tiny bit of trivia as well. The Doctor's mistaken identity as the evil one reminds me of the Seventh Doctor's mistaken identity as the great architect in the awesome adventure Paradise Towers. Mm -mm, which you remember, Jim. Which is possibly the only thing I remember from Classic Who as a child. Oh, really? <laughs> In summary, says Michael, interesting premise and creepy imagery if a slightly confusing, underwhelming finale. And he gives this 3.3 out of 5 big angry floating doctor heads on the rampage. Roar! <laughs> nice, nice one. Excellent mini as always, Michael. People who are not Michael. Fret not, you can follow Michael. He is available on Twitter at bad underscore movie underscore club. No more underscores. None. Not no. a single one. No, not even a full stop or anything. <laughs> Just done. <laughs> yeah. But you know what? Try. Try it. Yeah. <laughs> Next up, we've got John Knight. John Knight. Oh, John, oh, oh that's nice. I like that. Okay. <laughs> Next time. Next time. <laughs> John starts. The Face of Evil is a story that, like the Deadly Assassin and the Invisible Enemy, had a very significant impact on my childhood. Mm -hmm. While I do not recall how old I was when I first saw it, I do remember having some nightmares related to the episode 3 cliffhanger, with Zoanon attacking the Doctor merely with the high-pitched and repeated, Who am I? <laughs> <laughs> having rewatched it last night... I realize this story may have had other, more inspiring impacts on my life and development, but that's more for self-revelation. Oh, tease, John. <laughs> <laughs> 
I was trying to recall how often we meet the companion before she meets the doctor, says John. Hmm. At first, it seemed atypical, until I really thought about it and realised it actually was a common occurrence, though less so for being in the opening shot slash scene. It's certainly very common in New Who, isn't it? Yeah, I mean... Isn't we, that the whole thing with Rose? She's just wandering around praise? Every single one of them, as far as I recall. Like, we, they always have... Maybe this is the lazier version of doing it, like in order to establish, oh, this is, this is a good person you will relate to. You just introduce them with an instant save the cat moment and yeah. Yeah. Right, sorry. Uh, John continues, I really ended up enjoying the script during the latest rewatch. There's a lot of great one-liners and a few brilliant responses. It is one of the few stories that had a number of fourth-wall-breaking moments, which in itself helps it to stand out. It's the first story since Seeds of Doom that we don't have a scene inside the TARDIS. Oh, correct, yeah. Ah, very true. I am quite grateful to the Who Back When crew for this unique and enjoyable journey through the series. Aww. And I only wanted to say, keep up the great work. Oh, thanks, John. Oh, you too. I totally didn't realise what I was reading until I was reading it. Yeah, thank you, John. <laughs> same here. <laughs> oh, excellent. Thank you very much. As for the story, concludes John, it has its personal significance and its importance to the series as a whole. But it's far from perfect. And he gives this 3.5 out of 5. Wow. Oh, brilliant. Excellent this- stuff. And thank you again, John. Super nice of you. Yes, thank you very much for that wonderful review and lovely words of sentiment. But very interestingly, this is not something that happens very often, where basically everyone, you, me, listener minis, all on the same page. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Same page club. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know if that's that's more interesting in some ways, that you can write something that's... Like, this isn't mediocre either. This is above average. This is... Oh, this is absolutely... This yeah, is yeah, in, this is not a mediocre in, serial in any way. In, firmly in the good bracket. Not the great, but in the good bracket. Agreed. And everyone accepts it as, as good. Yeah. Like, that's pretty cool. Damn right it's cool, dude. <laughs> <laughs> no, I love it. I love it. Yeah. People of Podcastland who are not John Knight, you can follow John Knight on Twitter. John Knight can be found at nightwriter 80 Thanks, John. And thank you, everyone in podcast land, including the ones who didn't send in a mini. You know what? It's fine. No one's perfect. Send one in next time, though. (laughs) (laughs) But not all of you, because we'll be here all night. Yeah, that's right. (laughs) If all 12 of you wrote in. Jeez. (laughs) (laughs) So, wait, hang on. What do we have next? I looked this up before. It's also by uh, the Bushmeister. The next classic we're doing is The Robots of Death. Oh, that's the one, yeah. Robots of Death. Which... I've seen at least one screenshot of a a green-looking robot that looks quite cool. I'm almost entirely certain that I've seen it, that I saw it as a kid. But weirdly, I have zero recollection of Leela. Yeah, it's weird to forget an entire companion. Right, exactly. Yeah. Before that, though, we're probably going to have a new Who, aren't we? You're absolutely right. I realised that as I was saying it. Would it by any chance be Nightmare in Silver? (gasps) You're so right. Wow. How Uh, did I know that? Because I had gone to whobatwhen.com. You know what? I was on my way there as well, but you were quicker than I was. N101, Nightmare in Silver. But looking forward to that. I haven't rewatched it yet. Kind of remember it being a good one. Possibly. In the meantime, please feel free to say hello to us. Uh, Jim, you can be found on Twitter, I believe. You can find me on Twitter. I'm at Jimmy the Who. Jimmy the what now? You get this wrong every time. It's Jimmy the Who. <laughs> That's right. And I am at Ponkin. I dare you to spell that right. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for being such a lovely audience, dearest podcast land. Until the next time, rock on. Be right next to each other and cha-chao. See ya. Oh, no words of wisdom. 
have an awesome week fortnight. <laughs> However long it is between our next lovely discussions over the podcast waves and sleep well. See, don't you feel better having gotten that off your chest now? I do. Okay. I do. <laughs> it's much better. <laughs> See ya. Okay, dude, bye. Bye. <laughs> Kablamo! Did you enjoy the show? Then please do what the cosmos compels you to and spread the gospel of who back when. Tell your friends! But I've got no friends! No problemo, tell some strangers! Hey! Like us on Facebook. That's facebook.com slash who back when. All in one word. Are you into Twitter? Awesome! High five us online and we'll high five you right back. You guessed it, we're at who back when. All in one word. Check us out on Instagram for behind the scenes photos and other Whovian goodness. Watch our videos or even listen to our podcast on YouTube. That's whobackwhen.com slash YouTube. Vote us up on Reddit, listen to us on Stitcher and head on over to our website whobackwhen.com where you can submit a review of your own, browse the article archives and peruse our visual index of aliens, monsters and more which increases in Kablamos with every episode. And lastly, give us a rating and review on iTunes. It helps our show get noticed and earns you lots of karma points. That's it. Rock on and be rad and excellent to each other. Catch your earballs in our next Who review or bonus episode. Until then, cha ciao. Who back when?